the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is, and welcome back. It is a delight to bring back a dear old friend, uh, regular to this show, Terrence P. Jeffrey, better known as Terry Jeffrey. He is the editor-in-chief at CNS News. You want to be smart, you want to check in with CNS News. You want to be really smart, you want to read Terry Jeffrey every time he writes, Which uh, and he is a prodigious writer. Terry, welcome back to the Airwaves of Phoenix. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Seth. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. You betcha. Your latest column hits uh, where I kind of have lived intellectually for many, many years. Uh, when I was in law school, I remember doing a project, Terry, uh, a litigation, constitutional litigation project, uh, dissecting a, a freedom of religious um, uh, freedom of religion and establishment clause case called Wallace v. Jaffrey and dug into it. And uh, learned a lot about the history of the Establishment Clause, which most people actually got wrong ever since about 1947. Your most recent column, you get into this and it's fantastic. You write is the title of it is Nancy Pelosi establishing a religion. This is about a case coming out of Washington State involving a football coach. Tell us tell us the facts of the case and why you titled it as Nancy Pelosi establishing a religion. This is a case before the Supreme Court right now. Right. The Supreme Court heard this case on Monday, and it's a very important case. But the basic facts are that uh, a man named Joseph Kennedy was the JV football coach and assistant varsity football coach at Bremerton High School in Bremerton, Washington. And uh, he had a tradition, quite frankly, where he would go out after the game on Friday night and he would kneel at the 50-yard line and he'd say a prayer. And he initially did this, uh, he just did it privately. He didn't ask players to join him or tell them to join him. But at one point, some of the players came out and they said, hey, can we join you? And he said, it's a free country. You can do what you want. Sure. And uh, so... Uh, after that, a certain number of the players on the team would join him. Not all of them would, but a certain number would. And uh, he did it after every game. This, Seth, went on for eight years in the Bremerton School District, did not even know it was happening, right. and so they paid no attention to it. But then a coach from another team actually sort of congratulated one of the school district officials for what a great thing this was. Mm-hmm. And they started telling uh, Joseph Kennedy that he couldn't pray on the field. They want him to either go in some room somewhere or go up in the press box. And uh, he finally decided that he he was going to do it. He was going to pray on the field. So he did pray on the field, and a bunch of people joined him, and the school district suspended him. And uh, he then brought a First Amendment case in federal court that worked its way through the Ninth Circuit, and uh, came to the Supreme Court. And basically, the uh, the school district is arguing that if they allowed him to pray at the 50-yard line after a football game, they would be establishing a religion. 
yeah, okay. <laughs> under the First Amendment. And his argument is that he has a First Amendment right to the free exercise of religion yep. and freedom of speech. Yep. And so that's what the court is going to decide. Uh, Terry, the um, the the what we're calling the the First Amendment uh, religious clauses, uh, the Establishment Clause, and the Freedom of Religion clauses of the First Amendment, they are uh, uh, shall we say grossly complicated in a way that they need not be. Um, some years ago, Robert Bork wrote, "Where religion is concerned, a state may lend parochial school children geography textbooks that contains maps of the United States, but may not lend them the maps of the United States for use in geography class. A state may lend parochial school children textbooks on American colonial history, but not a film about George Washington." A state may pay for diagnostic services conducted in a parochial school, but therapeutic services must be provided in a different building. On and on this craziness goes because of the hoops they make people jump through based on you know what decade, I suppose, that First Amendment case got to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court has made a fine mess of this stuff, hasn't it? It has, and you know, if people want to see what the original meaning of the First Amendment was, you know, it says Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. It says that people have the right to free exercise of religion. They also have the right to peaceably assemble. Uh, um, but in the very first Congress, in the first House of Representatives, one of the very first things they did was they um, uh, made a law that you, under the Constitution, the members of Congress are going to have to take an oath. But they actually put together the language for the oath, which which ended with the words, so help me God. Right. That's what they did at the very beginning of Congress. And then they hired a chaplain, and then they started saying prayers in Congress. And uh, I didn't talk about that history of it in my column this week, but I did talk about in the chamber of the House of Representatives, just shortly after the Supreme Court heard the arguments in the case involving the football coach. And the the Congress, by the way, on Monday, the House, only had a three-minute-long session, because most of the House members weren't there on Monday. So they had what they called the pro forma session. It started out with uh, uh, the president pro temp, who was appointed by Nancy Pelosi and empowered by Nancy Pelosi to act for that three minutes as speaker, calling on the chaplain of the House of Representatives, who was standing right there, Wearing a Roman collar, by the way, and who, uh, by the way, gets paid one hundred seventy-two thousand five hundred dollars at least as of twenty nineteen. That was the salary of the chaplain of the house. He asked her to say the prayer. She walked up to the podium. She said the prayer, and the prayer lasted about a, a, a minute and twenty seconds, which is longer than the thirty-second prayer that uh, traditionally uh, Coach Kennedy would give on the field at Bremerton High School. And then, when the prayer was done. The, the chair, uh, Congressman Kim, who was President Pro Tempore, led those members of the House that were there and staff in a pledge allegiance to one nation under God. They then, they then dismissed the Congress. So on the very day that the Supreme Court was hearing arguments from a public school district in Washington State that an assistant football coach had quote-unquote established a religion by saying a prayer on the field after the game, the House of Representatives, the only two things they did was say a prayer and pledge allegiance to one nation under God. <laughs> you know, on that same day, <laughs> even closer in the Supreme Court, when the justices walked in to hear that oral argument, the clerk of the court said to everyone in that court, 
All persons having businesses before the Honorable Supreme Court of the United States are admonished to draw near, for the court is now sitting. God save the United States and this Honorable Court. As they looked up, they would see freezes of the Ten Commandments and Moses. That's what's going on in the Supreme Court as they're arguing about whether one coach can kneel on a football field. Yes? I mean, this is the absurdity we're living in, isn't it? It, it is. It's, it's, it's a complete absurdity. And... Um I'd say that the, right now, people who follow this pretty closely, I think, are fairly optimistic that the court will go the right way on this particular case. Um, you know, you, I, I think there's no doubt that Clarence Thomas is going to go the right way. Justice Alito is going to go the right way. I believe Gorsuch will go the right way. So they, then they need Amy Coney Barrett and Kavanaugh to reach five. And from the questions they asked in oral arguments, I think it's a pretty good guess they probably will go the right way. Um, but we don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think it's pretty obvious that Breyer's going to go the wrong way. Of course, he's leaving the court. And, uh, it won't, so it won't be unanimous. But will they, will they give such a clear opinion with at least five justices signing off on it that they roll back a lot of these ridiculous presidents you've been alluding to that the court has built up over the last 50, 60 years that really distort what the, what the establishment of religion actually means. I wonder if you might take a moment, a minute, Terry. Uh, we're talking to Terry Jeffrey, CNS News. Terry, I wonder if you might just take a minute and give your your the overview. And I know I, I know your scholarship. I know I know your your love of history. An overview of what what the establishment clause was meant to mean. It, it wasn't mean to attack this. It, it wasn't meant to attack this. What was right, the well, establishment you know, class meant to me? You know, it's an interesting thing. A lot of people probably don't realize this, but if you go back to the colonial era, there were there were colonies in the United States that had established religion, right? And uh, a, a number of them were basically the American version of an Anglican church. Right. And um, and when they originally wrote the Constitution, in fact, and and the Bill of Rights. It did not apply to the states. It applied to the federal government. So it, did, it didn't immediately eliminate established government, established religions in the states. But it did prevent the federal government from establishing a religion right. and also guaranteed people the free exercise of religion. Now, right. under the theory that the courts later expounded, the 14th Amendment caused the First Amendment to be, quote-unquote, incorporated into the states. Let me freeze you and right there. Let me pause you right there, because here comes sure. a break, and that's a nice place to pause it. So just to recap, the original intent of the First Amendment was not to apply the Establishment Clause to the states. The history on this could not be more clear. 1947 comes around, and we incorporate the First Amendment to the states through um, the through the Fourteenth Amendment, as you say. Let's pick up on that idea when we come back on the other side of this break to see how it's been further distorted here ever since. I'm Seth Leibson. He's Terry Jeffrey from CNS News, cnsnews.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show. Terry Jeffrey is our guest. He is the editor at CNS News, cnsnews.com. His most recent piece is Nancy Pelosi establishing a religion. It's obviously sarcastic based on a case involving a football coach out of Washington State who 
simply wanted to pray on the football field. Uh, Terry was giving us a, just a bit of an overview of, of, of the First Amendment's Establishment Clause. In the previous segment, he was mentioning what the history of the Establishment Clause was up until about 1947 or so, which was it was only applicable really to uh, the federal government. The states were free, actually, <laughs> believe it or not, to establish a religion. But in any event, comes the 14th Amendment Incorporation Doctrine. Terry, take it from there. And by that time, by the way, I don't remember the precise history, but by the time the 14th Amendment was ratified, no states did have it. Right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I should have said, if, while states were free to do so, they, ha- they had uh, declined uh, over time. Right, 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 moved right. Away, they moved away right, from that. Right. And uh, so but the idea was that the 14th Amendment incorporated the First Amendment into state law, and so states could not establish a religion if, if they wanted to, which they didn't want to at that point. Uh, but also the rights protected by uh, in the federal constitution were extended to literally all jurisdictions. So the First Amendment right to the free exercise of religion and the, the, the prohibition on the establishment of religion extended down into the states. And um, I want, what's very ironic about the case of Coach Kennedy is the, the, his school district is using the First Amendment to deprive him of his First Amendment rights to the free exercise right. of religion and the freedom of speech. And they're doing it on this bogus claim that by him saying a prayer of his own volition and other people joining him of their own volition on a public school football field somehow establishes a religion, right. which, quite frankly, is just insane. It's insane. Now, Terry, there is this argument. I think we've seen this with graduation uh, uh, graduation uh, rabbis and priests and that sort of thing, uh, commencement speakers. We've seen it elsewhere. There is this difference a little bit in the jurisprudence over what examples like, for example, Nancy Pelosi, the House of Representatives, a chaplain, or what I said when they say God save this honorable court, they do tend to make a little bit of a distinction between what adults and the Establishment Clause and what takes place on schools, don't they? They tend to be a little bit, uh, for lack of a better word, liberal. When it, Well, it's that's the wrong use of the word. They tend to be a little more constricting when it uh, when it comes to schools, right? They tend to be. Right, because, you know, they make this argument that schools, you have children, they're impressionable, they can be coerced. I mean, basically the argument they made in this uh, Kennedy uh, football coach case is that even though the players were joining him voluntarily, they may have felt compelled to do so because if they didn't, they might have not as good a chance to start on the team or they might alienate their coach or they might alienate their colleagues, their peer group pressure, and therefore it was coercive even though it wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, quite frankly, I just, I just don't buy that. And, uh, and I, I think it's a mistake. To, I hope the court draws a hard line on that yeah. and literally says that this coach had an absolute First Amendment right to say his prayer. I hope they do, too. And there is something cultural I don't know how to put my finger on this. Maybe you can do it. But there is something cultural about prayer and football, too, isn't there? Uh, God, country, Notre Dame. Uh, I mean, there just is. I, I haven't seen a movie about a football uh, story, a football <laughs> game. I haven't seen a movie where prayer isn't a big part of the culture of football. I just haven't seen it. You know, I, I can tell you, I, I've seen it firsthand. I think there is no doubt. I mean, the liberals would not like this. but They don't like football, it, either. 
No, you know, which is it's the great American game, and the culture of college football is, in fact, very religious, even at state universities. Yep. But actually, the first uh, column I wrote about this case a few months ago, I pointed out, having read the student newspaper in Alabama to get the background on it, that Nick Saban, who is a Roman Catholic, who is the coach of Alabama, he and his wife were the principal force behind building a Catholic cultural <laughs> center at Alabama. <laughs> and, 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 and no one was going to say a word about Nick Saban doing that, probably. No one was no, going to raise no, up. <laughs> yeah. Right. But, but, but Nick, Saban, you know, Nick Saban is uh, um, you know, very good friends with the Democratic senator from West Virginia. Sure. They, I think they grew up together. But that is that, I think, really is an under uh, – it's a current – you see throughout college football where many, many, many of the coaches are very religious and very traditionalist, and they don't mind letting their players know that. Yep. And I, you know, I can tell you I've seen it firsthand at a number of places in this country, and it's, uh, you know, so I think you're going to, if the court went the wrong way, there would be a lot of college, state college football organizations that would be in trouble yep. <laughs> with this kind yep. of rule being yep. enforced. And the ACLU would smell blood and all these others, Americans United for Separation of Church and State, which, by the way, is a phrase I should talk to you about. This uh, wall of separation between church and state, this is what kicked off the nonsense. And I kept referencing 1947. It was a case of uh, Everson Board of Education. A professor I knew years ago wrote a great history of the First Amendment religion clauses named Robert Cord. And he did all this great research. So in that case, Justice Black uh, writes, the First Amendment has erected a wall between church and state. That wall must be kept high and impregnable. Um, There is nowhere in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights where the imagery of a wall between church and state is mentioned or intoned. It comes from, as you well know, a letter Thomas Jefferson wrote to the Danbury Baptists. And he doesn't even use the words high and impregnable. I mean, it has been one letter by Thomas Jefferson that has been distorted since World War II. Yeah, and and quite frankly, Thomas Jefferson was probably to the left of most of the founding fathers on that issue. Yeah, yeah. And yet yet supported paying priests. Yeah. You know, I mean, it is a historical fact that Congress has had chaplains since the beginning. Congress has said prayers since its beginning. As I mentioned, Congress, they have an oath where you, you say, so help me God, in order to become a member of Congress. Yep. And uh, that, that, it, that was the first Congress, the same Congress that did the First Amendment, yep. did that. Exactly. So, I mean, you, you, you cannot would think they would know. You would think they would have an idea what the First you, Amendment meant. You would think. <laughs> Terry Jeffrey, God save this honorable court, which I hope saves God in our culture, um, and at least doesn't create a further naked public square. That's the effort here, isn't it, to create a, a totally naked public square. That's the point. Yeah. Terry, you're great. I really appreciate you, brother. Thank you for this great column. Again, folks, uh, Terry Jeffrey, uh, editor-in-chief, CNS News, cnsnews.com. Until next time, Terry, Godspeed. Thanks for doing this. Thank you much, Seth. You betcha. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960, your show the rest of the hour. We'll be right back.
Oh, that's uh, that's Charlie, and he took uh, he took him away from all that, didn't he? It's like what the folks at Y Refi can help people who are drowning in private student loan debt can do. They can help take that away from them. No, they help work with you uh, where others will won't. Uh, if you had no hope and no help because of the private student loan debt you are drowning in, that's where Rye Refi comes in. They'll help you out and you will see such great benefits as including a fix to your FICO credit score. The other side of it is the side I'm promoting which is helping you do well by doing good if you're looking for a great investment opportunity in a secure and collateralized portfolio where you earn exceptional fixed returns while helping these people who are getting out of debt. I take these kinds of investment uh, endorsements extremely seriously. That's why I not only kicked the tires at Y Refi, I looked under the hood, drove the car a little bit. These are good people. These are actually great people doing great things for other people. InvestYRefi.com. Check them out. That's invest, the letter Y, then R-E-F-Y.com. They're a local company. You can visit them. You won't get a sales pitch. They're in the business of helping people that others won't, and you can be too. Kind of makes you feel good, doesn't it? Go to InvestYRefi.com or call them at 855 316 3087. Let them know that I sent you. Rob is in surprise. Hello, Rob. Well, hi, Seth. Happy Wednesday. Happy, Happy hump, hump day. day. How are hi. you, man? I'm, I'm fine. I, I usually get confused, um, when, which is often, uh, whenever uh, you guys start talking about things like establishment clauses and so forth. Um, when it comes to the Kennedy versus Bremerton thing, and by the way, Bremerton used to be, and I don't know if it still is, a place where they've uh, mothballed a bunch of carriers. Yeah, and Brett Johnson, be- who's a Navy man, was on in the first hour talking about it being a big Navy town. Yeah. Where and, he, and where he said they do a prayer every night before bed, by the way. Well, yeah, and, and it used to also be uh, the home of uh, some of our special submarines that go out and you know hide for 60 days and come back and mm-hmm. get replaced and so forth. Anyway obviously a very patriotic place. But again, my confusion has to do mostly with this should be an issue Mm -hmm. because, you know, I I look at, you know, the First Amendment when it talks about, and again, this is limiting government, Mm -hmm. not limiting the people. Mm -hmm. But it seems like somebody somewhere in Bremerton wants to limit some freedom of people uh, you know, Congress will make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> it doesn't really speak much about states doing that. No, it doesn't at all. It never was meant to. Yeah, it never was meant to. Right. And then um, I, some, something was mentioned about the 14th Amendment. Yeah, right. And, and what I, you know, what I think, again, about the 14th Amendment was that had uh, every citizen has the right to vote, mm-hmm. and there's probably a bunch of other things, yep. but I don't think it has anything to do with the um, ability of somebody to uh, either take a knee or uh, pray on the field uh, when it, when it's over with. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm missing something, but... Again, when I'm confused, I go back to the basics. What does the Constitution say? What is the intent behind the Constitution? 
And why would this even be an issue if it weren't for a few little whiny brats who uh, feel offended because they don't believe in God, they don't believe in a higher power? And I expect that's probably what's going on here because Washington State is what it is mm-hmm. when it comes to Washington mm-hmm. State. Mm-hmm. And so those in charge. Mm-hmm. I don't know, Seth. I mean, uh, help, help unconfuse me, sure. please. Sure. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, So when one looks at the Bill of Rights, which was primarily aimed at, you're right, Rob, uh, the the, the federal government, um, take the First Amendment. It starts in the very first word with the federal government, Congress. Congress shall make no law. I have to hit the break real quick, and it's it's a good question. Let, let me let me just put it this way: the Due Process Clause of the of the Fourteenth Amendment, which is in Section One of the Fourteenth Amendment, starting in the nineteen twenties, but really earnestly taking off in the nineteen forties. The Supreme Court, progressive at that point, right, filled with progressives after the progressive right. era, they started using the Due Process Clause in the first section of the Fourteenth Amendment to incorporate the Bill of Rights and apply them to the states. It's known as the incorporation doctrine. It is a relatively new invention, as I say, the 1920s, but really took, taking off in World War II and post-World War II. So if that doesn't confuse you along the lines of Chevy Chase and I was told I didn't need to know math, that's it. Section 1 of the 14th Amendment Due Process Clause is the leisure domain to apply the first eight amendments, I believe it is. Ninth and 10th have never been incorporated. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature, the fruits and veggies. I take them every single day, blend of 16 whole fruits, 15 whole vegetables, the equivalent of 10 servings of fruits and vegetables, 100% natural, taken from whole fruits and vegetables, the good, powerful, potent stuff, everything from, uh, you name it, cayenne pepper to cantaloupe. It's fantastic. And I credit it with keeping me healthy for the several years I have been taking it. Now, I used to get sick whenever the seasons turned. Haven't since taking Balance of Nature. Used to need to drink coffee in the afternoons. Haven't since I've been taking Balance of Nature. Used to worry about immunity and body repair from my running and excessive biking. Excessive. (laughs) I don't know if it's excessive. Hardcore, maybe. I don't know. No problems. Balanceofnature.com. Make sure to use discount code BALANCE. When I'm talking about what uh, Secretary Mayorkas is doing, Secretary of Homeland Security, in creating a disinformation governance board, I do so from the perspective of someone who abhors, as I hope most Americans do, but I'm not so sure anymore, tyranny. Abhor tyranny. Love freedom and abhor tyranny. Ronald Reagan used to, in his speeches, talk about, you know, the escapees from Cuba who were always amazed at how much we take for granted here and how lucky people in America are, whereas he, the Cuban immigre that Reagan liked to talk about, would say, how lucky you are. Think about me. I had somewhere to go to. We have to be that place. We have to be that place because if it's not us, then who? If it's not us, then who? So when we are creating, going about creating disinformation governance boards, 
disinformation governance boards. Think about this. It's been created. Here's Fox News' write-up on it. And will be led by Undersecretary for Policy Rob Silvers with Principal Deputy General Counselor Jennifer Caskill. The goal is to bring, they say, the goal is to bring the resources of DHS to address this threat of disinformation. Disinformation. We've been talking a lot about it lately, and it's no accident. You first had the University of Chicago conference about a week and a half, two weeks ago. On Thursday, uh, Thursday of last week, you had Joe, uh, you had Barack Obama at Stanford talking about it. Disinformation is the new shibboleth, the new catchword to describe conservative positioning. Conservative positioning, uh, disinformation. Consider for a moment in the COVID context, just for a moment. Earlier in the show, and I had a lot of calls on this, earlier in the show I referenced a study of 35 European countries that went through a peer-reviewed scientific review of their masking policies, the conclusion of which wasn't just that the masks proved irrelevant. It was that the more universal the masking, ironically enough, if you want to use the word ironic, the more morbidity, the more death. Now, if one had postulated that, as many did, more so they said masks were useless, not actually correlated to more morbidity. Um, if one had postulated that any time up until yesterday, you would have been subjected to being banned or cited for providing misinformation. If you had questioned the utilization of leaving your groceries outside or perhaps having to change your clothes when you got home or perhaps not touching pets because all of this sounded so ridiculous and you didn't think COVID was a fomitic disease, which it wasn't, you would have been cited for putting out disinformation. If you had questions about the vaccine, if you, if, if you questioned when Joe Biden said, if you get vaccinated, you won't get sick, you won't get the, go to the hospital, you won't die. If you had questioned that, you would have been guilty of disinformation when the real disinformation and misinformation was coming from Joe Biden. OK, that's part and parcel of the problem. Now, combine that, combine that government UCOTS to what they were doing, which was more than just banning you, but preventing you from going to work, preventing you from seeing people, preventing you from exercising your rights, in some cases, preventing you from even traveling you really very quickly understand how the totalitarian or tyrannical ethic and personality disorder comes to play. The authoritarian personality disorder comes into play, and they will not let it go. The Surgeon General a month ago said he was opening up a portal for people to report on how they get disinformation, which is to say Americans reporting on fellow Americans. What we are now engaging in, evidently, from the Department of Homeland Security is agitprop. Do you know what agitprop is? It's uh, from the Soviet Union, agitasia propaganda, agitation for propaganda. That's what we're talking about here. We are fast emulating and aping all that we spent our twilight struggle 
from basically 19, yeah, let's put it all the way back, 19, let's put it back to 1930s Germany, you bet, 1933 to about 1989, the long twilight struggle against tyranny, not just communism, but Nazism, and they all used agitprop, they didn't call it agitprop in Nazi Germany, I'm not uh, well enough first in German to use their, to use their phrase ac- accurately for it. But they used, oh, did they use propaganda films to a fairly well? And now we're getting it here in the United States with the creation of a department for it. The creation for a department for it. It should frighten you a lot, especially when you step back and consider for briefest of moments who was really spreading disinformation, morbidity, and death. I'm Seth. We'll be right back. The various shots that people are getting now cover that. They're, they're, you're okay. You're not going to get COVID if you have these vaccinations. Yeah. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. When I worry about uh, these kinds of things, uh, tyranny, and I look back at uh, what happens when countries become tyrannous and dictatorial, I think about, well, the day that commences tonight with sundown, which is Holocaust Remembrance Day. People lose their liberties. People get killed deliberately, deliberately. I'll have something interesting to say about it tomorrow from someone who sent me, a pastor who sent me something from Nevada, really a beautiful piece on Yom HaShoah. But I'm not the first person to point this out. And for those of you that still think that it's okay to cite Ronald Reagan and even maybe think he's a moderate and the Republican Party should become more like him, I'm all in favor of it, especially lines like this. When I first suggested the danger of government control inherent in so many federal handouts, there were people who denied vehemently that every, any such thing could ever take place. And yet, before too long, the same people were saying, what's wrong with government control? And in the recent days, we've heard representatives in the higher echelons of government ask us, well, are you afraid of your own government? Well, to tell you the truth, I am. And all of us should be. And I speak not in a partisan sense of an administration or individuals. I'm talking of the institution of government. Wasn't this the admonition of the Founding Fathers that government tends to grow, to take on power, until freedom eventually is lost? The fact is, and we can't escape it, only government is capable of tyranny. You bet. Only government. And we're not immune. God bless you all. Until tomorrow, I'm Seth Liebson, and class is dismissed. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.